Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. Just a reminder to please check out Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Vecchione and Cindy LaJoy, available on Amazon.com. This is June, which is book month here on FASD Hope. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Vanessa Spiller. Dr. Vanessa Spiller is a clinical psychologist with over 20 years of clinical experience. She works therapeutically using a feedback-informed approach with adults and young people on issues such as anxiety, adjustment to change, trauma, grief, and loss. She also works with families and young people impacted by FASD. Dr. Spiller utilizes evidence-based approaches combined with practice-based evidence to ensure that the work done together is meaningful, helpful, and on track. Dr. Spiller has also worked in several Australian universities and provides lectures and professional development activities in areas such as professional practice, child and adolescent work, and adult psychopathology and ethics. She is an STAP-approved supervisor and has provided professional supervision across her career. Her dual academic passions are supporting and providing resources for individuals and families impacted by FASD and helping therapists and services embrace a feedback-informed approach to client work. Dr. Spiller's book is Explained by the Brain, the FASD workbook for parents, carers, and educators who have tried everything or don't know where to start. Hello, everybody, and welcome. It's June and it's FASD Book Month, and I am honored and so excited for to, to have today's guest on our show. Um, today, I will be speaking with a clinician. She's a psychologist. She's a researcher. She is an author of a wonderful book for, for parents and caregivers. Um, and she is also, I have that wonderful respect for her in many ways, but especially because she's a mom of, of a child with an FASD. So I am so happy to welcome Dr. Vanessa Spiller to FASD Hope. Dr. Spiller, welcome to our show. Thank you, Natalie. I'm, I'm honoured and excited to be here and to be included as one of the authors that, um, that, that you include in your program. That's, that's very exciting for me as well. Absolutely. And I wanted to include you this month in our authors because your book really, it's a book, but it's also really a workbook. And I, I really appreciate yeah. that because, you know, it, I, as a parent and, you know, as a parent, we look for solutions and, and to be able to have opportunities to look for solutions in books is, is very, so helpful for us, especially when we can go back and refer to them again and again. So, so thank you. And we will be sharing, I will, um, at the end of this episode, we will share how you can purchase Dr. Spiller's book. Let's talk about your journey because you have a really unique journey into the FASD world. So can you start with however you want your professional and or your personal journey in the FASD community? Well, I think um, for me, my professional and my uh, personal journeys are so intertwined. They they loop in and out of each other. And uh, it's funny, as I listen to more people's stories about FASD, particularly the personal journeys, um, the more I hear my own story being spoken and so many people seem to have uh, so similarities in terms of um, discovering that their young person has something like FASD. But probably the professional came first 
for me um, in, in a way that I didn't even realise that it was happening, I guess. And, and that's because some of my initial work as a psychologist, I was working with child protection, um, families who were wrapped up in the child protection system um, in a counselling role. So my role was very much in, in supporting either um, families who had become embroiled in the child protection system or at risk of having their kids taken into care or I was working with foster carers where young people were already in care and that they may be already they were struggling and so these were sort of really complex families and, and really complex young people from a professional point of view and I think probably looking back now, one of the flags that so many of these young people really would have had FASD, but it really wasn't on the radar at that point in time, was they would come in with like five, six, seven pre-existing diagnoses. And these kids would come in with the alphabet of diagnoses and they'd often had a whole variety of services previously and, and yet things were still, you know, really difficult for them and really difficult for the schools that they were at and really difficult for, their, for the parents and carers. And so I guess my job as a young professional was to support these families and, um, you know, I must say it was, um, I look back at that time and I think about some of the things that I probably suggested to people and uh, I'm actually quite embarrassed about some of the suggestions and the, probably the lack of understanding of how much this was driven by the, the um, brain injury that these young people had and how much I attributed to behaviour. And so um, I guess what I did learn, though, over time was, you know, these were families and carers who were often working really hard and it wasn't that they weren't applying the, the techniques and it wasn't that they weren't, you know, listening to the advice that people were giving them. It was actually literally that the things that were being suggested to them weren't working. Um, and for me, that was a really big sort of realisation because it was, uh, I need to change what I'm doing to, to, to work better with them. As I said, at that point in time, I probably didn't realise it was through the lens of um, FASD. It's probably looking more through the lens of trauma at this point. But there were some similar principles that applied. Um, and then I guess my personal story, uh, my personal journey became intertwined at that point because um, uh, I, we'd been doing foster care uh, for, for a little bit, uh, for a few years by that point. And um, we had a little person who came along initially for some respite with us. And um, I guess he was he was a little bit different to even the other kids that had come to us through um, who were already in care. And, uh, you know, at that stage he was about two, two and a half, so he was quite tiny. He had almost no language whatsoever. And he was just this human tornado. I'd never seen a kid with so much energy. Um, and so when you've got a kid with so much energy and almost no language skills, um, you can imagine how frustrating the world was for him um, and uh, how, how frustrating the world then became for us. Um, so he ended up coming for respite and, and never leaving, um, as lots of kids do. And, and, you know, we really fell in love with this little guy. Um, and, of course, he, he remains with us uh, until this day. He, he's, um, you know, well and truly uh, a vital and central part of our family. Um, but what happened was, you know, he did come. He was probably uh, fairly unusual that even at that age, he actually came with a um, FAS diagnosis. So that was that was probably fairly unusual for the era, and I think um, you know because this is like 20, 21 years ago. Um, so to actually have that diagnosis was was something. The downside to that, he came with a variety of other diagnoses. Again, even at two two and a half, he he had a, a, a start, he had the start of the alphabet already happening for him. And I guess as a professional, we were like, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm working with kids with complex needs all the time. My, my partner was a teacher or had a teaching background. And, you know, we, we thought we were really well skilled to be able to support this young person. Um, and some of the other diagnoses I knew. So, you know, I could work with young people with intellectual disability, um, ADHD. It was kind of like, yeah, that's sort of within my skill set. 
Um, but, you know, we very, very quickly worked out that this was not within our skill set. <laughs> this was way beyond our skill set. Um, and I guess we were seeing things that we hadn't seen previously and he just didn't respond to the typical parenting stuff that we'd been using over a couple of years. So that really started, I guess, me in particular on a journey of working out what's going on for this, this young person. Um, and really at that point, this was even, I think, prior to when Diane Malbin's book came out. Um, so, you know, as a professional and as a psychologist, I really went to the science literature and the research literature, and there was a few papers on it. But really what was missing was, so I got this information, this is what FAS is, but there was nothing out there telling me what to do with it. And I guess that's really what my book and all of the work that I've probably done since then has been focused on. It's not just about recognising FASD. It's not just about understanding what's going on, but actually giving people something that they can do when they have a young person with that diagnosis. Because believe me, we tried, uh, and I often, uh, I've talked about this a few times, we tried everything there was not too many avenues we didn't go down we went down ot and we went down diets and we went down um you know a whole range of different therapies um but we needed i wanted some people to be talking to me about try this when he does this when he's undoing his um his seatbelt and um throwing things around the car and attacking you this is what you should do well, this is what you can try. That that was what I was after. I'm I'm nodding my head emphatically and just laughing yeah. because you got me at human tornado because that was perfect. That's a perfect description of our son when he was he was young too. A human tornado, and I really appreciate your sharing how they're back because our our son is is almost 19 so you know this was before you know before a lot um and of course it took us many years for for us to get our diagnosis for our son but you know your son came having that FAS diagnosis what really strikes me about your journey is how you had all this amazing spectacular psychology you know just science research experience but when you become a parent, you know, mm. all that is just, it's almost like your best ideas come out of desperation. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I can remember, I can remember when, when our son was about two and he just did not sleep that, that summer. Mm. And we had this, like you're saying, try this, try this, try this. And, and one psychologist who, again, just, she, she she understood our walk. I don't know how well she understood FASD, but she understood our walk. And she said yeah. she she like broke it down to like a tool. And when she did that and when she said, OK, this is going to be like a tool that we're going to try. And it actually started working because we were building slowly on a strength that he had you know, yeah. to, to help. Yeah. So I really love that. And I love how your book is a segue into that, you know, again, I see it as a book, but I also see it as a tool. So um, I'm just so thankful that that you did that. And again, I, I'll probably say this a lot during this interview, but I'm so thankful that you have that clinical professional experience as well as that parent experience. To me, that's like, that's gold. It really is. So, so thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm fanning a little bit about, <laughs> about how, how great. Wow. Those- that's a, that's a first for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is. And, and again, you know, we, we receive emails and, and messages and, and from, you know, folks listening around the globe and, and we all, you know, are in that desperate place at one time or, you know, yeah. often, you know, and, and it changes. So, so that, that's wonderful. Um, so well, it let- really, it really, sorry, it really puts an exclamation mark too, I think on that experience of, you know, as a, as a professional, you know, I would say it internally in my own brain and my partner and I, and I would be saying, this should be working. Yes. Why isn't this working? Yes. It works with 
all of these other people and the book says it works and it's not like it is genuinely not working and I think for me that was a huge moment in terms of going that that's when some of that embarrassment came in in terms of saying I think I've probably heard people say that in the past and I've been a bit dismissive of it and I've kind of gone well, maybe maybe you're not being quite consistent enough or maybe you're missing something here and maybe, you know, whereas, you know, I think certainly it, it took to have that experience myself, which it shouldn't, but it did to go, oh, wow, this, this, this really isn't working. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's where from the parent community, you know, as a very humbled representative of the parent community, that's appreciated because we know, I mean, I've, I've spoken with other researchers and, and neuropsychologists and clinicians that have said, we've learned a lot from parent parents yeah. have taught us a lot. So that is very humbling to us that we're being heard and that our feedback is being validated. Yeah. And it becomes a journey together then. And I think that that's one of the things that is really quite different about parenting, you know, these guys with FASD is that it life is a series of parenting experiments. And I guess that that's why my book is kind of a smorgasbord. And, you know, I never say at any point in the book, if you do this, this will work because the brains of our young people are so diverse. Therefore, the strategies have to be diverse. And so I try to give people as many different ways of approaching the kind of issues that are coming up so that they can, I guess, embark on that journey of experiments for their young person and with their young person. And I guess that's how I approach all the families that I work with clinically still. It's like, you know what, this is a a series of experiments and, you know, you're the chief person who's going to be implementing these. So you're going to tell me if it works or not, not the other way around. I love that. I love that. That is so empowering for parents to be able to say, okay, here are, here are, here's my menu of my smorgasbord and, and okay, these, we're going to try this because I know my child's strengths and we're going to try this. And, and I love that. I love that. So again, not only is your book a wonderful book, but it's a fabulous resource tool. And I love how you smorgasbord because, you know, we're, we're foodies in our house. So <laughs> we, we love food. So Who doesn't you, love a smorgasbord? If you, if you relate anything to food. Yeah, I, we're all in. That's wonderful. So let's talk about before we start talking more about your wonderful book, let's talk about the clinical work that you're doing now and kind of the shift that, you know, you've been doing over, especially over the past few years of how you're clinical work, your advocacy work and your research work has grown? Well, it's, um, and it, look, it certainly has grown. And sometimes I sort of think, oh, what am I doing in this space? You know, um, and, and then I, as I was writing a little bit of a list of the things that I was doing, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, you know, aside from working part-time and, and being a parent to a young adult um, on the spectrum, um, you know, there's been a few things that I've really been focusing on in the last few years. And, and I guess that, you know, a part of that is the, the producing of resources. And, and for me, that's probably the thing that I love the most. I really enjoy putting resources together Um, taking, I guess, some of that more complex scientific material that is really important, but translating that into something that um, parents and carers can use um, and turning it into something that's actually really practical. So it's not just information, it's information that can be then put into those strategies or those tools or those approaches. Um, and I really, I really enjoy that. And, and I guess as we talk about my book, um, it's sort of expanded into, I guess, a, a series of videos that I've also done on that topic. Um, and that's all about those producing um, resources. And then I guess the other group that I'm really wanting to tap into and, and to provide resources for is also teachers, um, because I think they are such an important part of our kids' journeys and, you know, a part of, you know, a part of why some, a lot of families will end up homeschooling is because they just can't access 
teaching professionals who have an understanding or have the abilities to to provide the accommodations that our young people meet have you know they're also some of the first people that will spot the difficulties our young people are having so I just think they're such a crucial bunch that we need to get on board and we, we need to educate and that we need to provide with some um, neurodiverse ways of working with these neurodiverse young people um, I've also sort of, I, I've tried to move, I guess, into the training space. I, I really enjoy working with other professionals because, um, as you're probably aware, FASD really isn't included in university curriculums for social workers or even for disability workers, uh, certainly not for psychologists. So, you know, getting the word out there and giving people some very basic level training around what FASD is and how to spot it and what to do if they actually see it. So one of the, the things that I put together in the last 12 months is a, a video series. So it's an 11-part video series that actually follows the book. Um, and so I'm actually using that in my training, but it's also a standalone thing that people can access if they want. Um, but again, it, it's, a, it's a way of, I guess, breaking down FASD, breaking it into uh, bite-sized chunks that people can access on various topics but filled with those strategies and and filled with a framework for how to work with those behavioral symptoms of things so there's about 17 hours of that video uh, for people they can have a look at that on my website if they want to go down that avenue. But I think it's it's actually a nice way because not everyone wants to read a book. Um, and so a lot of the materials for the, for the videos actually come, it's meant to complement the book. So that's kind of an approach. I would love to be able to do that more. I'd be love to be able to do that more professionally, but um, there is so many hours in a day, unfortunately. Um, I, I guess I have my finger in a few pies. I'm involved in a little bit of research. Um, I'm currently involved. They're reviewing the Australian FASD diagnostic guidelines. Uh, so I'm a part of the, I guess, a committee that's looking at that. Um, I provide clinical support for parents and carers um, through the, the work that I do in um, private practice. So uh, in Australia, we're very fortunate. We have a scheme called the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which um, lots of, well, not lots of young people, but some young people with FASD are actually starting to access. And what that means is their parents and carers can access therapy and support um, to help support the young person with FASD. So I support a number of families with young people with FASD. Um, so I support the young people by supporting their parents and carers, which is often the very best way to go, particularly when kids are young. So that's kind of, I guess, my swag. Um, <laughs> that's your jam. Working and raising a child and, <laughs> and, and, you know, feeding myself and bathing. You know, oh, my goodness. That's right. It's like you, Natalie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Having, I love that having your finger in, in many different pies. Oh my goodness. So before I keep saying, before we start talking about your book, when, which I promise, you know, dear listeners that you, you will hear about <laughs> Dr. Spiller's book. One thing, because, you know, we, we are such a, a long distance away. I think in the States this year, we, a, a lot of advocates, parent advocates, professionals, we're really hoping that 2021 is the year that we pass national legislation, you know, the FASD Respect yeah. Act. We're really seeing a boom in advocacy. However, we, you know, talking amongst the, the you know, fellow advocates, parent advocates, professional um, advocates, we look to countries like Canada and Australia. Particularly, I look a lot to Australia because. I think in the, especially in the past couple of years, I've just seen this amazing, not only boom in research and advocacy, but government support. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it really has just seen like an explosion of let's support FASD. Let's, you know, work together. Can you share a little bit of your perspective about that? Because for us here in the States, that gives us hope. Yeah, look, it's certainly, it's an ex constantly expanding space. You know, I guess when I was first working in this space, I think 
I would personally have known most of the people working in this space, uh, professionals and families. And, you know, it's really now getting to the point where there's um, certain buckets of fundings that are coming out of government. We have things like the um, FASD hub, uh, which is sort of a, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the funding, but it's certainly meant to be like a, a store place. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? A storehouse of information, yes. a national storehouse of information uh, around FASD. Um, some of our big organisations like NoFASD uh, are also getting increased support. There's certainly funding through research, through um, FAIR, which is um, our alcohol research enterprise. We have some universities, particularly across in Western Australia, who are putting together some, you know, credentialed training in FAST. So yeah, look, it really is uh, an expanding space. And look, I'm, I am glad it, it gives other people hope. There is so far to go, though. Um, and, you know, one of the big areas for me and personally, I guess, that I'm very interested in is we are getting this recognition through our national disability scheme. Super important. Um, so many of our young people, of course, aren't diagnosed. So we have we do, we do have some blocks to diagnosis. We, we don't have enough diagnosis, diagnostic services on the ground we probably have you know we now have services in almost every state of Australia which is a fantastic thing but a lot of them are part-time and a lot of them depend on having professionals that are passionate about FASD in those positions so we nearly need to to, to, to push that space but what's more we need somewhere for families to go after diagnosis that's my big area it's like great, they've got a diagnosis now, they know what the label is, where do they go? And that's the space that, you know, we really need to be expanding in because we have no, for example, we have uh, no FASD government funded specific intervention services in Australia across the entire continent. So, you know, that that makes it hard for families um, to know where to go and who are the experts. So they really have to seek out the experts in the intervention space themselves. And that's something I want to move. The other, the other, you've got me on my bandwagon. <laughs> go um, ahead, go ahead. So while our national disability scheme is recognising our young people with uh, FASD as having a very significant disability, our schools still don't. So that's the other big area, I guess, that lots of people are working in. We really need schools to recognise FASD as a standalone disability and as something that will attract funding so that they can get the supports in school because without supports in school, without things like AIDS and modified programs, our guys, their chances of being successful are so low. Um, so that's kind of one of the big areas. And I know there's a lot of people in Australia who are pushing for that, for working and working towards that. But that's probably, for my space, one of the most important things. We need to be getting schools looking at this so that our guys aren't falling through the cracks and, and having all of those other secondary issues. Yes. There you go. I'm off my soapbox now, Natalie. <laughs> you can stand your soapbox as long as you want, Dr. Spiller. That is, I have no problem with that. And you bring up such an important point. And that's that's been um, actually a theme that I've heard through uh, by other guests is you get the FASD, your child gets an FASD diagnosis, and then it's really literally like, okay, you're on your own now. Now Over what? to you. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I guess that's how the parents become bros because, you know, it's like, here's your diagnosis. Okay, you're on your way. And totally about the diagnostic clinics, you know, it's great that there's one in every state, but like you said, you know, there, a lot of them are part-time, you know, we yeah. have these wonderful diagnostic clinics here in the States, not in every state, but in many States. However, some of them only, you know, do the FASD screening one day a week or you yeah. know, some of them just the first week or whatever. So yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's really That's the same here. Yeah. So it's really important that we increase the consistency of how these clinics are available, you know, so that people don't have these year long waiting lists, you know, at least here in the States, like you hear many months yeah. to a year. So yeah, no, you stay 
on that soapbox, Dr. Spiller. <laughs> I, as a parent to parent, I, I totally agree. So and we need those intervention services across the lifespan. Um, you know, yes. I know we focus a lot on kids and, and a lot of our focus on um, even diagnosis is happening in children. And look, that is great. And it is really important. But what happens next? And how do we continue to support them and provide those interventions across the lifespan? So yes, and I appreciate that as a mom of a young adult with an FASD, because you go through a whole new thing of, of okay, now we're reinventing our life all over again, you know, so it's a lifelong disability. And, and I think government schools everywhere just needs to recognize that it's continuous, it looks different yeah. in every child and every individual individual, but it's continuous and we need to provide those continuous supports because I think, especially as young adults and adults with FASD get older, the supports just kind of fade away or they trickle down. Exactly. Exactly. So, so let's talk about, so there was a need for your book and your wonderful resource. And now let's talk about it because like I said, I I admit I'm only about partially through uh, (laughs) as this episode airs, but however, I have hope that we're, I'm going to set aside a chunk of time to finish it. Let's talk about explained by the brain, the FASD workbook, because it really is just such a unique resource and you address just so many different, like you so perfectly said, it's a smorgasbord of ideas and tools and techniques and and things for parents and and carers to to use. So let's talk about your book. Yeah, thank you. And and look, smorgasbord's a a good word because it is a slightly bigger book um, than perhaps some of the other ones out there, but it's really designed to, to be interactive and so that people can read it in chunks so that, um, you know, I know a lot of people don't just sit down and read a book from cover to cover these days, you know, and, and particularly when we have busy lives, when we're trying to, you know, support these kids with really complex needs, sometimes you just need to go to the bit you need. And I guess I've tried to sort of lay it out so that you can read it from cover to cover and get everything Um, Or you can go, okay, we're really struggling with um, impulsivity and his executive functioning and meltdowns at the moment. There's like three sections in the book that you can go to that will help you with that or two sections in the book. So really the book reflects, I guess, my journey and the things that I wanted to know when I was, you know, certainly raising my young person, the things I still want to know as I'm raising my young person with a focus on, as I said, you know, the the really practical elements, as well as still having that science and evidence-based background. So, um, that that's kind of why I put it together um, because it was that step after diagnosis. It's the step of, okay, what do I do now? Um, and, and I guess that that's really what I wanted people to have, to have somewhere to actually go. This is what I can do now. This is what I can try now. I've also tried to put together, I guess, an approach that's you know, it's obviously rooted in the brain um, because that is where prenatal alcohol exposure impacts. Um, But I wanted to teach people an approach that they can use um, to the full range of behavioral symptoms that our young people have. And I think the reason I wanted a framework for people was because there are so many behavioral symptoms that our young people have, and they change so constantly as our kids get older, that, you know, if you teach people, you know, specific skills around just this, what happens is our kids then move on from that. And it's like, oh, no, what do I do now for this? So if you can teach people a framework, I guess my idea is from that that, that, um, that saying, you know, I wanted to teach people a fish rather than giving them a fish, if that makes sense. So the kind of, so there was a couple of key sources, I guess, that were really important for me in terms of putting this together. And I think everyone is very familiar with the first one, which is Diane Melvin stuff. You know, she is a pioneer. She was really, she led the way with the neurobehavioral approach. Um, And so it really, my book has a strong foundation in that. Um, There is a few little, um, I guess, expansion points and and a little bit of updating perhaps um, on some of the stuff that she talks about. Um, And I guess in terms of the application, um, and this is no means a, a criticism of her work, but I think sometimes when people are reading some of 
her staff, they they read it very literally and they say things like, oh, well, rewards don't work with our kids or consequences don't work with our kids. And I guess I'm a little more, there's always an exception. Um, and I think that, again, you know, if we go back to the brain um, and the variety of ways in which brains can be impaired through prenatal alcohol exposure, it makes sense that some kids with FASD may actually respond okay to consequences. It's probably not going to be a huge proportion, um, but the, the, the basis is we have to go back to your kid's brain and we can't make gross generalisations. We kind of have to go, okay, what does your child's brain say about what their abilities are and what kind of you know, um, interventions are going to be most successful? So it has a my, it definitely is strongly informed by Diane Melbourne and her stuff because I think her stuff is just amazing. That she was really one of the first to say, look at the brain, <laughs> link it to the other stuff. The explain by brain model also though includes a lot of the trauma literature um, or some of the trauma literature, particularly by people like Bruce Perry, because he's done a lot of research, particularly into kids who've experienced early trauma. And we know that our guys absolutely fall into that category that it's not just um, the prenatal alcohol exposure it's often some really difficult early life experiences particularly for our kiddos that come and you know they've been adopted um, or they've been in foster care and had multiple placements you know um, you know it's trauma is so much a part of their background and what his stuff has to offer is actually some really important insight into the sequencing and ordering of interventions because he goes back to the real hard brain science and says brains develop in a particular order and um, the order really matters. And if you want to get to what we call some of these higher order abilities like, you know, learning and academic abilities in school, you have to go through the lower order stuff like regulating your stress system. And if you don't do that, um, you know, you can do all of the tutoring and all of the academic stuff that you want, but if we can't get through this dysregulated stress system, you're not going to be successful. So for me, that was a really key thing that I wanted other parents and carers and teachers to understand, okay, we have to prioritise our interventions um, in this sequential way that fits the brain. Um, and again, I've tried not to get too sciencey about it, but get that general message across. Um, and then the final approach that um, the Explained by Brain um, model uses or draws upon is really that the work of Ross Green um, and his collaborative and proactive solutions. He has some fantastic stuff, um, particularly around, you know, how do we pick the ways in which we inter interact with young people? Um, and he has, he has these plans. He talks about plan A and plan B and plan C. And plan A is really you know, you do it because I told you to do it. And, um, you know, his was probably one of the first books I came across that said, that's not going to work for all kids. And, you know, I knew that because it certainly was not working with my child. <laughs> I had to abandon that one really quick. But there was nowhere else because really a lot of the traditional parenting models just said, just keep plan a just keep upping the consequences until you hit that point where they have to respond. You know, you just need to get tougher and tougher and firmer and firmer. And it was just like, this is not going to work. Like, this is not working. Um, so I really love his stuff. He gives some alternatives to that. He talks about collaborative problem solving. Now, sometimes that's not always applicable to our guys, but that's, that's why I draw the best elements out of it. But I love his plan C, which is pick your battles and there is stuff you have to let go. And that was so freeing for me as a parent, you know, when I was able to let go for our child of things like homework. Um, it was just like, oh, my gosh, someone has finally given me permission to get rid of this thing that I know is, you know, melting, causing my child to melt down every day and is impacting on our relationship. Um, so in our, with his brain, that was a really good solution. So Ross Green has some really nice stuff around that, as well as the, the importance of relationship. So they're kind of the, the foundations. And I haven't, I've obviously pulled together the best out of those to, to put that together, to give parents, I guess, a framework. 
Um, the book itself obviously has some up-to-date information about FASD um, and, look, people can go into it. There's sections where you can quite literally go, do you want the short version of this or do you want the long version? So if you want the short version and you've only got two minutes to read it, do this and then come back to the long version later if you want to. <laughs> it talks about the value of assessment because, again, for me, assessment is so much more than the diagnosis. Assessment is the part that tells us about your individual child's brain and that's the information we need to know so that we can pick the interventions that are most likely to work for you. So we, we talk a lot about that and there's obviously bits for self-reflection because even if you don't have a diagnosis, sorry, an, a comprehensive assessment, you're assessing your child all the time. You're observing their abilities. And so there's lots of self-reflections in the book where parents can go, yes, I've observed that. Yes, I've noticed that. And I guess sometimes when we go to see professionals and they're going, so tell me what's, what your child's doing. I don't know about you. I'm a bit like a deer in the headlights. And it's kind of like, ah, I have half an hour to condense that. Um, whereas, you know, people can actually literally copy these pages in their book and go, these are my observations. These are the areas. This is what I've noticed works and doesn't work. Um, so I think that 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 can be helpful, particularly for passing that information on to, to professionals. Um, run through all of the, the brain domains um, that are included in the Australian Diagnostic Guidelines. So there's 10 of those. Plus we throw in, I throw in an extra one, which I think should be in there. Um, but, you know, I didn't write the guidelines and it's not my world. Um, but sensory issues is an extra one that, um, you know, I think is absolutely key and people talk about all the time. So we run through those um, and give examples about what that might actually look like in everyday life so that parents can kind of go, oh, I thought that was a behaviour. Uh, you know, I actually think it's a behavioural symptom um, and it does link directly to their brain. Like that makes sense. If they have an impairment in this domain, of course they're doing this behavioural symptom over here. Um, then move into things like environmental accommodations. So looking at what can we do to change the environment so our kids are more likely to be successful, what we need to change in terms of our expectations um, to help our guys be successful, and then really getting into those nitty-gritties. Here are the strategies. Well, here are some strategies. Um, and, you know, these are how they can be implemented. And this might be how we need to modify you know, rather than doing time out, we need to do time in. Um, and that's specifically linked to their brain. But for some kids with FASD, they still need time out. But again, that, you know, because there's no universal one answer, time out is probably less likely to be effective because of all of that impulsivity and a lack of executive functioning and the ability, inability to just calm themselves down. But you know, again, go back to your child's brain. Um, if it works for your child, great. But that will link to their brain rather than just this being a good strategy. The strategy is neither good nor bad. It's how it fits. Um, so that's, and, and then we get into that really giving that explained by brain um, framework so that parents can actually then apply this same framework to whatever behavioural symptoms they're seeing. So every behavioural symptom that we see in a young person can be linked back to some part of their brain if you know where you're looking. Um, and so it's really about doing that so that they can apply that to, to their young person, both in emergency situations, so when it's exploded, um, but also more often you know, those proactive situations so that you can get out ahead of it so that you're avoiding some of those. The last section, I know this, it's a big book, isn't it? I, um, I keep talking. I'm furiously <laughs> writing. I'm, I'm taking so many notes. So please take, and, and I'm sure our listeners will be too. So please keep talking. I'm glad. I'm glad, I, you know, but it can be a bit overwhelming. And then I go through the behave, the most frequent behavioral symptoms that we see for young people with FASD. And I think, again, this is a part that, parents really relate to. So we run through some of those questions that are in every FASD parenting forum that, I, uh, that I'm a part of, and I'm a part of a lot of them. People are asking, you know, what do we do about lying? 
and we talk about the idea of confabulation and what do I do about stealing and what do I do about physical aggression and what do I do about meltdowns, sexualized behaviors. Um, you know, there's there's a whole range of those that just come up time and time again. So I guess what I do is I work through that explained by brain approach, which is okay, let's let's see how these behavioral symptoms link back to the brain what likely parts of the brain are implicated in this. And so if we know that these are the parts of the brain that are involved, these are the interventions that are most likely or the strategies that are most likely to be successful. Um, so it's helping people sort of put those things together, recognise behavioural symptoms as opposed to behaviours. Um, because when we have behaviours, we want to punish um, and we want to give consequences. We decide that that's the best way to go with a behaviour. If we have behavioural symptoms, we want to help and we want to support and we want to teach skills. Um, so you know, that's what we're trying to move towards, helping people to go, okay, what are the ways? Even though I'm frustrated and I really want to give a consequence and I really want to do some punishment here, what is the way that's actually going to work and be helpful for this young person's brain? So that's kind of I think the book in a, a summary and as I said so you know that's all through the book and you can read it in as many chunks and break it up as much as you can the sections are quite standalone um, but if you if you're not so keen on the book format you know people can also access the videos um, and the videos are breaking most mostly into brain domains and an accompanying sort of behavioral symptom that often goes with that brain domain so and again, I appreciate that you are, you've given this tool, not only in a book, in a resource book, a workbook and the videos, and you are approaching it from the truly spectrum diagnosis that FASD is. So you, in this wonderful smorgasbord that you're offering to parents and carers and, and anyone who's involved, you are offering a spectrum of strategies, of ideas, of, and, and also just really putting it, everything back to saying, this is how the brain affects this, you know, really making that cause and effect link so that parents, anyone who, who is in the caregiving, teaching, familial world can say, okay, this is coming from this part of the brain. And, and I think for, for me, it, it's, it's a really, it took, because we did not have an official diagnosis until our son was, was almost 15. It's hard. I have to tell you, Dr. Spiller, yeah. it's hard going from traditional parenting to neural behavioral brain-based parenting. It is Absolutely. really hard. However, however, because you, you feel like the world is just constantly saying, no, no, you're no, no, you know, just remember, do just, more. exactly. Just do, just do it harder. Exactly. It will work. You're just, you just need to be more, more firm, like you said. And when you do make that shift, it really is just such a life changer because, and I've said this before, but I realized that the person that I need to change is, is me as a parent, yeah. you know, yeah. or the teacher as a, as, as an educator, we cannot change our children's brains. We can do things to help and accommodate and, you know, uh, nourish and, and, and help, you know, increase activity and whatnot. But essentially this is their brain. This is their brain, how it functions. It's not like you said, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just, you need to find the strategy. I, I wrote it down. The strategy isn't good or bad. It's just the strategy that fits the brain, I think yeah. is, is really what I'm taking away from, you know, like from everything of what you're saying today is that you really are using this book and what you're saying and what you're teaching as a resource to say, okay, here's, here's a bunch of options. You yeah. as a parent, you as a caregiver, you as a teacher, you'll, you'll know what fits that child's brain the best. So Come back to the brain, yes. you know, again, and I think that's such a different because what we, what we know about sort of the general parenting techniques that are out there is that they are, they're premised on that. This is how all brains develop. 
This is what all brains look like. These are the pathways that exist in all brains. And, you know, if you want to be able to access these pathways and get success with your kids, just follow these steps. Um, And what we know, and, and again, you know, it's really hard to argue with the fact that prenatal alcohol exposure causes this sort of diverse, diffuse brain injury. So if we have a different brain, we have to have different strategies. It's just... And I think that's something that's really important for teachers in particular, when as parents and you know, caregivers, and we're trying to explain to teachers why they need to do it differently. We, we have to, it really helps if we've got some science that says, okay, your strategies aren't terrible. They're great for brains that are set up like this, but my child's brain isn't set up like that, unfortunately for them or you know, fortunately, it's good to be, have some diversity. Um, But the flexible brain in the room has to be the one that shifts. And unfortunately, my, my, my child's brain isn't the flexible one. And we know that because we've had a lot of assessment and we know that because, you know, you can see that. There's lots of validity, face validity, and you can see that. The flexible brain in the room has to be the one that changes and shifts. And unfortunately, that's you. Um, So, but, you know, I, I think if we can find sort of gentle ways of saying that to people, it makes logical sense. They can kind of, they join the dots and they go, oh, yeah, that's, that is correct. I just wrote that down as you were saying that the flexible brain in the room has to be the one that shifts and you're a thousand percent right. It has to be the parent, the caregiver, the the carer, the teacher. We have to be the ones that have to shift our brains in order to help accommodate our loved ones whose brains can't be shifted. So that right there, that is Wow. I, I, I'm just going to say, wow, <laughs> that's, that's my reply to that wonderful, wonderful statement. So this has just been amazing. And um, let's talk about how people can learn more and access your book. And then those wonderful videos you mentioned, I'm giving you, I'm giving you not just a soapbox now, but a platform <laughs> so you can share how I can we- plug my stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. How can, how can folks you know, reach these wonderful resources? So the best way to um, to get them is really to go to my website. And so my website is um, www.jumpstartpsychology.com. And if you go there, there's sort of, um, there's some main links on that front page. And one sort of goes to the other part of the psychology stuff that I do. Um, but there's a really clear link that goes to all of my FASD resources. So in that section, you'll find, you know, a lot of the free downloads that I have, because I have a lot of sort of worksheets and um, tip sheets. So, you know, one of the ones that people might have come across is step away from that sticker chart. Um, That was one that I put out recently um, to support families who are talking with schools about that. So there's a lot of sort of free resources there, and it's sorted into sections, it's sorted into the different books. The book is available as a digital download. Um, And look, the reason that I've done that is particularly for people overseas because uh, printing and shipping is is really expensive and and I get it. People, you you have a limited budget. So you can buy it as a digital download. Um, It's just been updated on Amazon US. So it is available through that that store. Um, And I would love it if anyone who has read the book would go and leave a review. That would be fantastic. Um, So you can get it on Amazon US, but the predominant place at the moment is really through um, my my website, um, which I'm sure you'll you'll sort of put the the link up. Um, And you can also access, again, the videos are there. Um, some people will, will, you can buy the whole series. Um, uh, other people can, you know, you can actually just buy the individual ones because again, you no, know, you may not be at the point where, you, you know, you have, your child has difficulties with motor skills. So you can actually go, you know what, uh, I, what I really need to know about is this one on uh, adaptive functioning or executive functioning. So the videos are about an hour long um, and you can probably listen to them as much as look at them. Um, but, you know, they're certainly available there. So there's just a, a whole smattering of stuff. There's also some free videos that I've done and some previous talks that I've done. 
but uh, yeah, that jumpstartpsychology.com website is kind of the, the, the place to access most of it. So, and we will be listing um, all of these links of Dr. Spillers in our program notes today, as well as when we share on our social media pages. So um, you will have access to that. So, and yes, as, uh, as someone who owns a digital copy of Dr. Spillers book on my, on my Kindle, on my iPad, I should say, yes, I, I think that it's wonderful that you can have it in an ebook form format so that because we know that printing and publishing, you know, expenses and and then shipping overseas, they can be very high. So having that opportunity to have it as an ebook is wonderful. So Dr. Spiller, this has just been such an amazing conversation. I have written so much and just have learned so much. And I look forward to continuing reading your book. And I love again, that you can just go back to it. You know, it's really, it's one of those great books that if you don't have that much time, you can take and pick what you need at the moment, which as a parent, I truly appreciate that. I don't know uh, if if you're aware, but I like to end our episodes on words of hope uh, for our listeners, because again, we know, especially historically, you don't hear the word hope often with with FASD. And and we wanted to change that conversation and, and make that shift in the brain. Just like you said, you know, we need to have not only the shift in the brain about being flexible, but we need to have that shift in the brain about you can have hope and hope looks different. You know, hope is actually a spectrum for many of us. You know, some days it looks much different than others. So as both a parent and a psychologist, what words of hope can you offer to our listeners, particularly the ones who are really in those trenches right now and, and just trying to figure things out? Probably, you know, I think one of the things that stands out for me is even as I reflect on our journey is that, you know, my son has exceeded our expectations over and over and over again. And I'd like to think of myself as a fairly hopeful person and an optimistic person, but he's still, you know, achieved so many things that we perhaps were unsure were going to happen. So, you know, he was able to finish high school and that was just such a major achievement for us uh, and for him. And he liked school. By the time he left, he actually really liked school. He had a group of friends. Um, You know, he's becoming a valued member of our local community. And every time I hit a hurdle and I think, you know, we, we hit hurdles all the time. I think I do go into a little bit of a, a despairing moment around, you know, what am I doing and where are we going? And I'm constantly brought back. I have a, a friend, I guess, who has been on this journey with us since the beginning. And um, she constantly reminds me, she says, okay, you know, you're telling me about this thing that he's doing at the moment or this challenge that you're facing. She said, do you remember when, you know, he first was living with you guys and he's three and a half and you said, is he ever going to be able to go to school? <laughs> is he ever going to talk? Is, is he going to actually be able to speak? Is he uh, ever going to stop breaking things? Is he ever going to toilet train? Um, and, and just that reminder, you know, she says, look how far he's come. Like this, this is where your expectations were back then. You were wondering this stuff and look at him. He's finished high school. He, he's had a job before COVID, unfortunately, um, impacted on that. You know, he, he really is a valued member of our local community. Um, people like him and interact with him and he continues to have challenges. It is not a carefree life. Um, he gets an enormous amount of support to be as successful as he is. Um, but he is. And as I said, you know, he he has just continued to exceed my expectations. And I see that in the forums and I love watching the forums, particularly those ones where people post up, my child has just graduated from high school or my child has just managed to get their driver's licence if that's possible and within the realm for your young person. My child has just managed to have their first sleepover. My child has just 
manage to not melt down in a situation that they would usually melt down. And that stuff is, you know, this, that hope, it happens all the time. You've got to know, you've just got to notice it. Really, these guys can exceed expectations provided they get the right support. They just can't do it on their own. They, they need us and they need society to help them along. But if they get that, and even if they get a little bit of that, you, you can watch all the great things they can do. Wonderful words of hope. Dr. Vanessa Spiller, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope today. And I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to have you back on the show again, because this has been (laughs) such a wonderful conversation and we'll pick a new topic and we will, we will converse. And and I would love for you to educate our audience uh, again, because this has just been not only an enlightening conversation, but it's also been a very encouraging conversation. So on behalf of of parents everywhere, Dr. Spiller, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you so much for having me on. This is, this is what I love to do. And, um, you know, I love to meet with other parents and carers and, and we get to share all of our knowledge with each other. So thank you so much for, for the opportunity and, and keep up the good work you're doing. It's, It's wonderful to hear the voices of FASD ringing out around the globe. You can find Dr. Spiller's book on amazon.com and on her website as well. And we will list all of that information. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.